It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to episode 10 of the Prospects Baseball Show. My name is Dean Millard, and as usual, I am joined by the head coach of the Edmonton Prospects and the assistant general manager, Jordan Blundell. Thanks for bringing the sun with you this week, Jordan. All right. Uh, I have no credit in that after the rain we had in Lethbridge. The rain you had here, Ugh. the rain in Lethbridge. It's uh, I'm going to Manitoba tomorrow, uh, so hopefully uh, the rain is not there. Uh, sorry, uh, but I would like to enjoy my uh, so summer vacation. The other night, uh, uh, Gregor had me on his show. Um, you know, we talked about how the weather's affected some teams in the league and rescheduling and all all that kind of stuff. And it was sunny out. Uh, what was this Thursday? Thursday that was the first Brooks game. Um, yeah, we had a great chat about how we've had so much good fortune of the weather missing us and before and after, and we get through get through the interview great go out for bp it's hot it's great the sun's blazing um you know right before game time it starts coming down torrential buckets we couldn't get the game in we put two hours on the field trying to get the water off um i feel like greg's karma right there <laughs> on the rain and then we get down into lethbridge and and uh you know there was some rain the friday night same kind of thing we, had, we ended up getting it in and then it rained like pretty much all day saturday couldn't play it so um, yeah, the rain caught up to us this week, Dino. So yeah, we'll, we'll discuss another wet week and, uh, the sun is shining now. So hopefully that will continue, uh, for the rest of this week. We're also going to be joined by, we, we talk about in our intro every week that we celebrate the boys and the girls of summer. And, uh, man, do we have an absolute rising star who is mm-hmm. going to join us a little bit later on in the program, Madison Willen, who is a member of the Canadian national team. She's from Edmonton. Uh, she's great on the diamond. She's great on the ice. She's great on the tee box. Like she is a multi-talented athlete. And I think she's a really good example of why you don't have to just play hockey 12 months a year or just play baseball or just golf. Um, uh, she's a rising star that plays a lot and does not specialize. And as you'll hear in the interview a little bit later, doesn't ever want to specialize. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that chat. Uh, uh, what an inspiration to, to girls uh, in our community. You know, frankly, uh, re- really proud of what she's done. I, you know, I, I don't really know her, uh, but proud of her accomplishments. Uh, I've been around baseball a long time now, and, and you know, I watched the first kind of trailblazer, Nicole Luchansky from our area, you know, play with the boys, go through that whole process. I'm sure it wasn't easy at times. Um, and to set the bar... Uh, and then have success at the national level on the international stage was Nicole Luchansky here from Edmonton. Um, and for her to set the bar there, and then now it's like that, the, I'm getting old, you know, the second generation is coming back around where there's girls that have had and have looked up to Nicole that are now 
going to take on that role and they're living it in the moment of there's younger girls now looking up to them um really cool baseball alberta uh, does a great job with the women's game uh, i'm really proud to to call alberta home in that sense um yeah and they do a great job with with the men's game as well um, no doubt but they they've made it a, a an initiative to help create more opportunities provide more opportunities get good coaches out there uh so if you're uh, a mom or dad listening to the show or or you know a girl listening to the show um there are opportunities for you and they're growing it's a growing sports fastest growing sport type thing um reach out to baseball alberta they got all the information that you can you you can possibly need or send me a message and i'll help connect you all right this is also the last week for anybody to get in on the mix in our baseball memories uh, contest, we'll give you that in a, a little bit. But you will have the opportunity to not only watch a game from a suite, August 3rd, Fan Appreciation Day, uh, with myself. You'll also, uh, one person in your group will get to take batting practice before the game. So you and a friend or anybody else you want to bring get to come to the game, watch it from a suite, Enjoy all that stuff because from field level, the game is so much different than it is uh, sitting higher up in the stands. And one person from your group will get to take batting practice. So we'll tell you as we roll along how you uh, get in the mix on that. But uh, let's think, let's uh, get things going right now. Hey, bada, 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 so bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. So strange week again for you guys. Strange might be the theme word for your season uh, this year <laughs> because it's been so uh, odd and you know. you know, up and down. So you, you had the day off Monday and Tuesday, and man, don't you wish you could have played a game on Tuesday now? <laughs> uh, you rained out Wednesday, Thursday. You played Friday, rained out Saturday, doubleheader on Sunday where you split two seven-inning games, I think uh. it was. Uh, so it was rain here. Then you get out of the city and go, it was Lethbridge, and you get rain there too. Oh, Saturday. You know, Saturday was crazy. Like, not too bad in the morning. Okay, you're thinking, you know, tracking the weather. It's, you know, we're all junior weatherman in this league. And, you know, saw a system. And, dude, like, this, like the weather map, the radar, I can't understand how much this changed. You know, every 15 minutes, all of a sudden, there's, like, this huge green. There wasn't any green. Now there's a huge dark green. Now there's some red in the green. And it was coming down it's in Christmas. buckets. <laughs> it became Christmas on the radar map. Uh, it was bouncing off the road there for about two hours in Lethbridge. So we knew pretty much early on. Like, they got some rain Friday, and it, and then it kind of stopped. They had some field work. We started the game a little late. We got it in. Um, and then Saturday happened, and at that point, when it was you know bouncing off the road for an hour plus it was like uh, the field's gonna be affected here uh, so canceled the game uh, and then and then got the two in on uh, on Sunday it is crazy how it worked out as like a second all-star break as far as you know I've got guys that haven't thrown in in you know 10 days you know on the on the mound live and, and com competing against another team and that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes um, so we'll 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 gladly take the opportunity to, to rest up hopefully save some bullets get the bullets reloaded and and you know go into the next stretch uh, and then prepare ourselves to to make up those games if and when they, they come it'll be more likely at the end of the year so our next week probably won't 
add any games or be affected in that sense but but they'll come back around so we'll end up playing some more at some point and um you know hopefully we'll use this as a as a positive to make sure everybody's healthy get the bodies right and then you know get going for this week so you guys you know there's not a lot of time left in the season will there be time it's only two games that you that you have to make up because you had the doubleheader yeah. you played yesterday so is there time to, to squeeze those two yeah. games in yeah but for sure if we get any more bad weather is there a possibility that the league has to say we got to start playoffs but you know how do, how it's a, it's weird you're fighting for a playoff spot you might need these games yeah there's a there's a couple days built in at the end of the season to okay. account for the rainouts um you know, in those couple of days maybe can't account for as many rainouts as may happen. Um, there are a couple other days you, you find ways to do double headers, and then you know, push comes to shove, you got to travel. Like we were considering uh, possibility of playing in Lethbridge Sunday. You know, if we hadn't had the rainouts there, and this 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 wasn't a possibility when we got to Lethbridge. But before we got there, we were talking about this uh, amongst the executive. Uh, that were involved with Brooks is, you know, maybe play the, the Sunday nine-inning game in Lethbridge and then go to Brooks and play a game that night and play a dual-city doubleheader. Wow. Which I was Vin in Scully. favor for. The Vin I, Scully, you call I that. love it. I love it. It's like the Subway Series. We got the – it's some back highway. It's not Highway 2, so it was like Highway 42B. Cutting across uh, a field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to Brooks, you know, no warm-up, show and go. Um, but th- that's a cool memory to Do have for the guys. you grab some corn on the way? <laughs> Is that to. in the same area? <laughs> I think it's out of the way, but okay. we'd have it shipped in for the end that's of the right, day yeah. and chomp that down. It's good stuff. Um, but it's a cool, it'd be a cool story. So, I guess so, right? You know, it's like, like that Vince Scully story where yeah. he called the game in one city, flew to another city and finished that game that went into extra <laughs> innings. You have yeah. the Vince Scully of, of playing. And then and that's kind of what, uh, what, what you do remember in college baseball and then like sure. summer league and stuff like that. It's like, Hey, I remember this one time and uh, you know, we played in one city and, and then we had to drive two hours and play in another city that night and we got home late and, you know, we took two games hopefully. And uh, what a great story it would be. No doubt. Okay. So speaking of great stories, you guys are tied for the final playoff spot in the West division. Um, you know, you guys were second at one point, uh, then you were out of a playoff position it is so tight in your division. It, it's almost like this time last week, we're, we're talking about the same thing, how so many teams are close. How does separation happen? How do you create separation when, you know, teams are rolling or another team's keeping pace? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a dogfight. Uh, we recognized that uh, not too long ago that this is what it was going to be. Uh, and we saw more of the same of that this weekend in Lethbridge, you know, Friday night. Um, you know, getting walked off at the bottom of the ninth. And then, you know, Sunday, the first game, you know, getting walked off in the bottom of the seventh of the first game. Um, you know, kind of same thing happened in Swift Current. You know, we had three close games there, two extra innings. We take two or three, feeling great. You know, we go into Lethbridge and, and uh, you know, could have won the first two. You know, what a, what a crazy turn of events that would be for where we are positioned in the standings. So, um you know, our guys battle, man. It's uh, it's it's a good group of kids that way. They they're they're fighting till the end. Um, you know, it came up a little bit short there a couple of times in Lethbridge, which sucks. But uh, you know, appreciate what what we're trying to do here for sure. And and you know, frankly, gotta respect the other teams. It is so close on our side. You know, um, pretty much every game we've played for the last three weeks is a coin flip. Um, you know, a play here, uh, a mistake here or there, and and. You know the team capitalizes and, and takes advantage of it uh, and then that's been the difference so um 
we got some big games coming up. Uh, what do we have left? I think 14 left and, and 11 are within our division, something like that. Um, you know, Med Hat for two, Fort Mac for four, uh, Okotoks for one, Brooks for four. So, uh, like I said last time on the show, I, I feel like, uh, you know, our destiny's in our own hands. Um, you know, we got to play good baseball and you got to try and get a series. You try and get that win, which is tough to do when you play four games, you know, you got to go three and one, but, um, you know, really the focus is on today, this game. So when we get to tomorrow, it's about tomorrow. Um, you know, we really like our pitching staff. They give us an opportunity, you know, every time out to, to get a W. Um, you know, and I think we're fairly healthy with the guys that'll come in behind the starter if we, if we need to. So, um, you know, more of the same as far as that on the bump and, and, you know, trying to find a way to mix in a big hit here or there. Uh, I know we're capable of it. Um, we've seen it a few times this year and, you know, really the difference in the games we've won is, is maybe we've got that big hit, you know, versus the games we've fallen short is, you know, we just didn't get that big hit when we needed it. So, um, you know, the, the offense is there, man. There's so much talent. Uh, you know, just hope for the best. You know, put ourselves in positions to win games, which we've done. You know, basically every game we've lost, we've had a chance to win it, um, which you know, I get it. This isn't horseshoes, but um, it's better than, than not having that opportunity. So uh, more of the same. Get back to work. Guys are having fun this week. Dino, we're hosting uh, the Prospects Annual Kids Camp. They're over there right now getting their work in with the young kids. I'll be in there this afternoon with some of the older players. And, um, you yeah, know, really appreciate our guys for what they bring to this community. Well, it's uh, good practice for later in life if they want to get into coaching or, or in athletics in general. So Tuesday, Wednesday against Medicinat. Friday, you're in Okotoks and then Fort Mac here for the weekend. Yeah, big game this Saturday. It's our I Love Oil and Gas game. We've got Daryl Barr uh, concert after the game. Um, we've got uh, a bus going to White Ave at 11 o'clock and a bus going up to Jasper Ave Saturday night at 11 o'clock. So we want uh, want people to stick around and, and listen to Daryl uh, sing. He's kind of got a Johnny Cash type voice. He's awesome. He's a great dude. Um, and it's our it's our opportunity to to say thank you to the, the oil and gas industry. Um, you know, it's a... Without getting political, it's a big part of our community. Um, you know, it, it, it touches, you know, almost all the families around uh, Alberta in some way, shape, or form. Um, we're really proud of, of, you know, frankly, for me, I'm really proud to, to see the innovation and, and, you know, how hard uh, Alberta has worked to, you know, maybe change the idea behind the naysayers as far as how much damage we're doing obviously there's pollution attached to this uh, but as far as being leaders in 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 the world in, in trying to make it clean and planting trees and all the things that you know you're trying to do while you know supplying energy for the country uh you know my my brother-in-law's in the industry down in calgary and and um, you know, it's just a really important thing in, in our community that, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the country, uh, you know, obviously has some benefit for. So we want to say thank you to all the people that have suffered here through the downturn and, and um, hopefully they can have a great time at Remax Field. Well, most definitely. Uh, that, that's a really cool night when you can watch a ball game, see a concert and then get bussed out to the different uh, establishments. Also really cool is that the Hall of Fame inductions took place on Sunday. Um, not that they took place on Sunday, but that they actually took place. I don't understand why Major League Baseball and the NHL does the same thing. Why did they Hold this during All-Star Week. Hold it during the All-Star break so that the current players can get up close 
with these Hall of Famers. Same with the NHL. Hold it, and then you're not uh, holding it on a Sunday uh, where uh, you know a, a guy can't watch it live or schmooze with these guys. So they, in my opinion, they should be holding this when it's more convenient for the best players of today to hobnob, to be able to say, I had a conversation with Mariano Rivera. <laughs> uh, you know, I talked home runs with Harold Baines. Edgar Martinez and I uh, talked about the position, uh, you know, I, I sat there with Lee Smith and Rivera and talked about these things. Uh, Mike Mussina was there. Like there's, you know, there was obviously legends of the game that could impart their wisdom to the current day players, especially the young guys. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good idea. You know, the logistics of Cooperstown and and what that means to the sport. You know, it's worth looking into. Dino, you got a great idea, man. But you could have like the induction ceremony. You know, you could have all the Hall of Famers there for the home run derby and then the induction ceremony the day of the All-Star game. Yeah, yeah or, in the or, morning. Or, or how about, have a whole new day for it. How about it, you Monday? Yeah. You're not playing any games. Yeah. You're not play, playing any games on Monday anyway. Now you can have the so you whole can have the press Hall of, core. Yeah, you can have the everyone. Hall of Famers at the All-Star game. Then Monday they go to Cooperstown and boom. Players can go there as well. It's just... Anyway, so we, listed, too much sense we listed off uh, all those. And, of course, the late uh, Roy Halladay, who was inducted, and his oh. wife, Brandy, gave a, just a just a terrific uh, emotional speech. If you haven't uh, watched it yet, I, I suggest you go. Um, on Sports & More, that also comes out today, we're doing top three players who aren't in the Hall of Fame that should be. I just want one name from you. Who's one guy who should be in the Hall of Fame? Larry Walker. I knew you were going that way. And, and, yeah, it has to be that guy, Like right? five tool. Five tool. Um, for sure, there's some Coors Field bump. No doubt. Regardless of that. Like what he what he meant to the sport and how dominant he was. You know, he still had to put those numbers up. Whether they're a little bit inflated in Coors Field, great. They probably are. His numbers are still video game-like. You put him in other... He was really good in Montreal. You put him in another park and the numbers come down a little bit, that still doesn't diminish his Hall of Fame credentials. It just takes some numbers off the top, which he had tons to spare. Um, man, he was a really good player, dude. He was a really good player. Uh, I, I don't doubt that he'll get in in the day and age of social media. Well, he's got and, one year. I think he's only got one I, year left. I think he gets in next year. I think there's a big push. I think this happens. I hope so. Shoeless Joe Jackson is my guy. Um, banned from baseball because he supposedly uh, was uh, in on the fix in the 1919 World Series when they were the Chicago Black Sox, Black, or Chicago Black Sox as they uh, were called. Um, there's no, you know what? Go just Google Shoeless Joe Jackson World Series numbers. Yeah, and you four, tell four me plus. he is throwing <laughs> it. So for me, it's uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson all the way. Eight men out. Is a simple. Throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it. That's all. I love I love uh, <laughs> Bull Durham. I wanted to just throw that in to uh, break up our history class, but you were mentioning eight men out, so I will have to. You gotta watch. Uh, maybe I'll great. watch that on the uh, drive movie. to uh, Manitoba. So, history class today. This day in baseball history. Uh, this being July twenty second. 1909. Here it is. Ty Cobb <laughs> yeah. steals three bases in one inning. The Tigers beat the Red Sox 6-0. 22 years old was Ty Cobb. 
led the major league base uh, major leagues with 73 stolen bases in 1909. He could have played for the Edmonton prospects. He has the speed <laughs> and the aggressiveness. Yeah. Not sure his attitude yeah. would fit in with the clubhouse, but we'll have uh, to clean that up. A he was bit. a speed demon, obviously. Played and, the uh, game hard. How how is it? How is it that you let Ty Cobb steal three bases in one inning? Swiped home. Second, or third, he got home. up twice or something, but it's Ty Cobb. Like, yeah. You need it. It's Ty Cobb. Like it's it's or is it courtesy check? <laughs> yeah, or is it just like when Ricky Henderson got on base and you're like, well, he's just going to get to second. Yeah, Let's just prevent him from getting to third. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. 1923 at Cleveland's Dunfield, Walter Johnson, a wonderful legend. Fans. Before. Uh, Stan Kowaleski to become the first pitcher in Major League history to strike out 3,000 batters. Uh, he played for the Washington Senators. Uh, he was a legend. And so that was 1923. Do you know what year somebody got to 3,000 again? I'd say late 60s, early 70s. 1974, Bob Gibson. Yeah. Like it went from 1923 the next guy, like there was one guy that had 3,000 strikeouts, you know, for Forever. how many years, right? Uh, incredible. 1926, four triples the Reds hit. I know you love triples. You love waving that guy love around it. second. So the Reds have four triples. They score 11 runs in the second inning uh, on their way to beating the Braves 13-1. Kurt Walker ties a National League record for most triples in an inning by hitting two in the same frame. Two triples in one inning? That's what they buy call a lottery the, ticket. <laughs> that's what they call the merry-go-round. When you get two triples in one when, inning, when your when your team's doing this in an inning. Oh yeah, yeah, team, yeah, yeah. The merry, the, I like that. You got the merry-go-round the going. Merry-go-round. <laughs> I'm gonna have to use that uh, next time. Uh, one of my guys uh, gets really, really uh, good stuff on MLB the show. <laughs> yeah. The merry-go-round. Okay. Also in 1926, this is just kind of weird. Warm, humid day, Long Island's Mitchell Field. A lot of media there. Babe Ruth, wearing an army uniform, catches the last of seven baseballs dropped from a plane. The plane was being piloted by Captain Harold McClelland. It was traveling 100 miles per hour at about 250, 300 feet above ground. That's not high, right? No. So the plane's going, dropping balls, <laughs> and Babe Ruth is catching them no, out of a cool. plane. It was a publicity stunt um, for the uh, for the army and, and uh, to raise awareness Ooh, wow. uh, so maybe an idea. I'm just for looking Remax at you guys at Remax Field. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Edmonton prospects. Uh, and then uh, 1962, twin bill uh, with the Reds at Crosley Field. Uh, the uh, terrible New York Mets in the uh, 60s. <laughs> Four runners thrown out trying to score at home plate. Oh man! What would you do? You're the manager. Like I think Casey Stengel was their manager, but. Four guys thrown out at home plate. You can't like you like two is terrible, but four and one. No, wait a minute. Yeah, four in the uh, in the whole game. Uh, they lost eleven four and four three. So two in each game, and they ended up losing a hundred and twenty games uh, that season. So you know they, they would win a World Series in eighty six. So uh, nineteen sixty eight uh, after grounding out to first base unassisted in the seventh inning of the Yankees seven six loss to the Red Sox. Mickey Mantle's lifetime batting average falls below 300, and he would never get above 300 again. And often lamented in his later years that that was his biggest regret in baseball, not ending with a 300 average. That's a milestone, 300, the number 300. It's like if you came, you know, 49 goals, 
You're one away from 50 in a season, but you're not 50. 300 is a magical number in baseball, isn't it? It was, And it was huge back in the day, um, more so than it is now. Now it's more OPS. Um, batting average doesn't mean as much as it used to for, for players. Um, and just imagine like how long his career was for him to dip below that. Like, and, and, and that being the pedestal number he was going for the whole time. Yeah. I could see that being a little bit heartbreaking for, for such a great player and, and probably such a huge competitor that he really wanted that to happen. Oh, I, I totally agree. So, uh, that would just be something that would irk you. Eat at you. Um, and, one more know, hit. And, and yeah, one more, one number. more Texas leaguer falling in, right? Like uh, Crash Davis yeah. uh, when one, he's talking about six uh, more, you know, in, in Boulder. Yeah. When he's talking, he's talking the, the pool, one a the, week. the pool parlor, yeah. or the the guy who owns the pool parlor. One like, Texas leaguer right. a week for the that's whole right. season, and you're hitting two seventy in the big leagues. Yeah, that's right. He's telling him. Yeah, that's. I think he's telling him on the bus a little yeah. bit. Life, life <laughs> in the show. And final history note: 1993, uh, the Braves lose a game to fall 10 games behind San Francisco. Uh, and then in remarkable turnaround, they go 54-19 after the All-Star break, finish with 104 wins, win the National League West in a historic race on the last day of the season by a single game, uh, knocking out the Giants, which uh, whatever. Pretty is, good team is, there. It's <laughs> fine with me. Uh, but, you know, the, the Braves... Uh, they get some triumph the year before. They had heartbreak when, of course, uh, the the Blue Jays beat them. But uh, it was the Phillies that would end up going to the uh, World Series that year, and the, the uh, Joe Carter uh, historic. Here's a pitch on the way, a swing and a belt, left field, way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Still a wonderful baseball memory for me, and that's what we're going to get to next is our baseball memories. Tell us your best baseball story, and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. All right, uh, baseball memories. Uh, it's pretty simple. We have one spot left. If you want to get in on the action, watch a prospects game August 3rd, fan appreciation night from a suite with myself. And you could be taking batting practice before the game. It's simple. All you have to do is send us your favorite baseball memory or any baseball memory. Uh, email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com and tell us any baseball memory. We have one spot left to fill before this game. So uh, you want to do this quickly, prospectbaseballshow at gmail.com. You will have a chance to watch the game from a suite, uh, you and a friend, and then one of you will get to take batting practice before the game. By the way, you can uh, reach out to us on Twitter at ProspectsPod, at Jordan Blundell4, at Duck Millard, and uh, to stay up to date with the uh, team Twitter account, it's at EDM Prospects. On Instagram, at Prospects Baseball Show. Same thing on Facebook, at Prospects Baseball Show. 
and a couple of websites for you. Prospectsbaseballshow.ca, where you can check out all of our contests in the contest tab. And for tickets and up-to-date information, prospectsbaseballclub.ca. So your baseball memory uh, could get you uh, taking batting practice before the game and watching the contest with myself from a suite. And uh, today uh, I'm going with uh, Roy Halliday, a Roy Halliday memory. His wife, Brandy, a terrific speech yesterday at the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies in Cooperstown. And I'm going back to October 6, 2010. Roy Halliday's no-hitter in the playoffs. Uh, I was watching it at Global Television. I was in the sports department, so it was technically I was doing my job. Uh, but we didn't uh, do a whole <laughs> lot of, uh, you know, I th- I'm sure we ran some highlights of it that day at the 6 o'clock. But there was not a lot of Major League. Once we lost that half-hour show, um, the actual sport content from Major League Baseball and any other NHL team went Dra- dra- it was gone. It was yeah. it was non-existent. So we weren't probably uh, diving. You know, I wasn't my main. Fo- I was probably doing an athlete of the week or something that day. Anyway, I didn't get a lot of work done because that game started in the afternoon. Um, it was his first playoff start, and it was his second no hitter that year through a perfect game in late May. The first and only pitcher to throw a no hitter in the regular season and the playoffs. The only guy that's uh, ever done that. So it was game one. The NLDS against the Reds. It was a three o'clock start, so it was. It, it actually, I remember it being perfect for me because I was done at like six, and the game was quick. Like yeah. Roy was dealing that day, and it was over. And uh, I think I went and uh, I might have actually no, we finished the game, and then I think we went for dinner. But I'm like, this is the perfect timing. Afternoon. I love afternoon baseball in the playoffs. Love it. I've called in sick for wild card <laughs> games in the past. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Wrapped up just when I was ready to go home. He only walked one guy. It was Jay Bruce midway through the game. And it was the only the second postseason no-hitter in Major League Baseball history. And it happened. This is cool. It happened almost 54 years to the day of when Don Larson threw his perfect game in 1956 for the Yankees. So it was 53 years and 363 days after Don Larson. Like almost to the day almost 54 years later. So that's pretty cool. And as mentioned, he was working fast. He only needed like 104 pitches that day. And this is awesome. He also got a hit. He went Hmm. one for three with an RBI and a run scored. Single-handedly. And became the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to out-hit his opponent in the playoffs. (laughs) He had more hits than the Reds. That's unreal. I remember watching that game and, and... uh, basically the reason that Philly got him, you know, he went out there and did yeah. that. Like that's yeah. what he did. They need to play off big start in the playoff for you. Um, man, his stuff was so good for so long. It's, it's no surprise. He's in the hall of fame. Um, really cool for that to happen to him, you know, and, and he was a, he was a true blue, blue Jay, you know, like really loyal, you know, did his work. He, he touched so many people's lives uh, inside Toronto, um, inside the game, inside that clubhouse. Um, you know, everyone speaks glowingly of him online. Um, all his former teammates have nothing but great things to say about his leadership, dedication, and work ethic. Um, you know, when Philly got him with that Pat Gillick uh, uh, connection to the Blue Jays, you know, they knew what they were getting, a workhorse leader. Um Really cool story for, for the family at the time for him to do that. All right, so what's your baseball memory today? What are you going with? I've got a, a great no-hitter story. Uh, it was in my senior year, uh, 2004. Um, it was the first game of conference season 
conference play. Uh, and this was at where? This is at Jamestown, Jamestown. University of Jamestown. The Jimmies, right? The Jimmies. Uh, best name in college baseball right there. Um, do we know what a Jimmy is? We do. We do. He's, okay. a, he's a knight. He's a knight. That's he's right. He's a knight. That's right. Yes. Um, and a prestigious knight at yes. that. Um, crazy story. So the year before, we we ended up losing to this program in the semifinals of, of the, the big tournament, the regional tournament. Uh, we were probably the two best teams, so the semifinal was the de facto final uh, in our minds. Um, we lose a tight game like 4-3 late, you know, heartbreaking loss season over. Um, that year, that was the seventh game we played against that team. It was Dakota State, our rival. We, we did not like each other. We ended up losing the game 4-3. The season series 4-3. Uh, they ended up going to the World Series that year. Um, so, so tough one, tough one. So we, we go down our senior year and we kick some butt on our spring trip. We come back home. It's conference conference play underway. Dakota State's our first game. Um, a good friend of mine, the head coach of the Okanagan Coyotes College Baseball Program, uh, former Edmonton Cracker Cat, Jeff White, um, has the ball for us for the conference opener. We're on the road, um, and we're playing our big rival. Uh, so we go into to, to Dakota State. Um, Jeff White spins a, a, a no-hitter to set the tone, and I remember our right fielder, Chad Christensen, um, you know, not the tallest player on the field, uh, kind of an Altuve-type baseball player, a fast, heart, gritty, um, you know, gamer, ready to go. Um, he was playing right field that day. I remember this play vividly because I was playing third base at a great angle down the, down the line. There's a ball hit um, towards the line, and Chad laid out fully, fully laid out, fully stretched, uh, seventh inning, makes a big play. It was a one nothing win. Close game. You know, this is a game-saving play, which always seems to happen in a no-hitter. At least one. Yeah, have to. Um, so Jeff White goes out there, starts our conference season off with a no-hit shutout. You know, more often than not, it's a shutout. Um, against our big rival. Um, and that kind of sets the tone for us that year. Um, our, our senior year, we ended up going 45-9. and nine. Um, We were 45-5 and five heading into the Super Regionals. Um, and then and they got the at-large bid, didn't win our way into the series, lost two games there. We ended up from 45-5 and five to 45-9. and nine. You know, that play, in my mind, set the tone for us that year. So our rival, Dakota State, we ended up taking seven games from them. We were 7-0 and against them our senior year. I got to thank my boy Jeff White in Okanagan for setting the tone for us that year, and um, that's my no-hitter story. It was, it was so awesome to be a part of. Okay, let's talk about the actual no-hitter for, for a little bit then. Are, are, are you guys, you're obviously not talking to him, um, What? but, are, but you're, you, you're probably talking amongst yourselves during a no Like being part of a no-hitter, you're probably talking to your shortstop or your left fielder or whatever your position players like. We got something special going on. We got to be really good. Or, or, or how much discussion is there? I don't remember discussing anything at that point. Um, this was a an asterisk. It's a seven inning no hitter, so it's I guess a little bit different. Um, I remember the game being really important for us because it was our rival. Um, you know, one of the really good things, great things about that, that University of Jamestown, Jimmy ball club and, and what they still bring to the table nowadays is we were so focused that year, Dino, um, you know, from the first day of fall ball, this is like mid late August when we walked in the door, um, we were on a mission that there was no two ways about it. Our team was determined, focused from day one, and we weren't going to be playing till March. 
we were ready to go and we prepared as such. So uh, for me personally, I don't remember thinking, oh, hey, well, Whitey's got a no-hitter going, got to make some plays. Like we were so focused on playing this pitch right now um, that – yeah, I, did. I didn't realize till after the game that it was a no-hitter. I'm sure some other guys maybe have. Um, we were just ready to play every pitch. Like, that was the pitch that mattered the most. And once that pitch was over, we were just going to move on to the next one, move on to the next one. You know, somehow that was just an influence throughout our ball club. Uh, we had a great, great group of guys and, and a great mix of character, grit, talent, hard work, dedication, you know, good teammates playing for each other. It really was a brotherhood and a family there. And, um, I just remembered, I just remember, you know, kind of figuring out at the end of the game that we had no hit them. We were all more concerned about getting a win. You know, this is a team that knocked us out of the playoffs the year before. And, and then, uh, you know, after that game, we didn't play too many close games, you know, going 26 and two in our conference. So, um, yeah, Jeff White out of baby. All right, so if you have a uh, baseball memory, even if you can't remember any of the details of that baseball <laughs> memory, uh, send it to us at uh, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and you could be watching Jordan's team, the Edmonton Prospects, from a suite at Remax Field, and one of you taking batting practice. And trust me, when you see the spin of the ball, the speed at which the ball comes off the bat at that lower level, you will never think of ba- you. You will think of baseball uh, totally differently. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Very pleased to welcome into Podcast Alley a. Uh, up-and-coming baseball player as well as a hockey player, pretty good golfer uh, from what I've read as well. Madison Willen is joining us. Uh, you are a member of Canada's national women's baseball team. First of all, that has to be really cool when somebody says that to you. Has you know? Are you are you still uh, impressed when you hear that uh, and proud of your accomplishments? Yeah, of course. It's been a dream of mine since I was a little kid and growing up watching the women's game and just how it's developed over the years. Um, it's amazing. So when you first started playing baseball uh, or hockey or you picked up a golf club, I don't know what age you were at, I doubt you were thinking, you know, one day I want to be on the national team. You were probably just thinking, this is a fun game that I'm, I'm starting to play. When did, when did baseball get really serious for you? Um, it definitely got really serious when I was 12 or 13, and uh, I was playing Little League with the Confederation Cubs uh, on a boys team, and I realized that I was just as good as them, and I knew that I just fell in love with the game and that I wanted to play it more at a higher level. And when I first played for Team Alberta, for the girls' team, I realized that I had a chance to take it to the next level, and that's when I got really serious about it. Welcome to the show, Madison. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what it was like to experience the, the first time where you went to a Team Alberta tryout, uh, the nerves, what, what you were thinking and the thought process for, you know, the younger girls that kind of look up to you? What did you go through when you first walked through that door? Um, well, I was fairly young when I did that, and so I just treated it like any other practice. I just went out there and had fun, and I did the best I could, and that's honestly what you can do. I mean, you shouldn't put more pressure on yourselves because you're still growing up, and um, yeah, you just got to go out there and have lots of fun and work hard. That, that's something that I, I'd imagine um, gets better with time. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's times where you're still nervous about a game, uh, but... In being in those situations, 
does each one get easier as you go in, you know, maybe uh, when you were 12, 13, you were really nervous. And now as uh, you're, you're approaching, uh, you know, your late teens and your early 20s, you can deal with some of those, uh, you know, uh, nervous uh, pregame jitters kind of things or, or pre-tryout uh, jitters uh, like that a little bit easier, do you find? Yeah, I think as you get older, you start to learn more about yourself and what makes you tick. And um, if you ever do get nervous, you know how to handle it as you get older. Because when you go throughout life, you're always going to get nervous about something. You're always going to encounter something new. And But the more that you learn about yourself and how you react to certain situations, you definitely learn from it. So I know a little bit about uh, your, your old head coach, Andre Lachance. Can you tell me a little bit about what you know, his mindset in preparing you guys for the championship last year, the, the bronze medal run, uh, what that was like for you in the sport of baseball, but also if you've been able to take some of his lessons and apply them to your other sports, hockey and golf, to, to overcome adversity and to perform in the moment. Yeah, for sure. He was a great coach last year, and and that was my first year on the international stage. And coming in as a as a rookie, uh, he really preached hard work and to always have a positive attitude, and that you could be you always got to be ready to go in. They could it could put you in at any time, and you just got to be prepared for it. And uh, he was a great mentor, and um, yeah, hard work all the time is what he preached, and just running hard on and off the field, and to always have a great mindset. So have, last year was your uh, first year with the on the World Cup team. You guys won bronze, and uh, you know next year looking to to up that. But had you been involved in baseball Canada programs before that? Um, and and you know what was it uh, what was it like being a rookie on that national team? Um, in 2017, I was invited to the extended roster camp in Washington, where we played a seven game series against the USA. And that was my first baseball can experience. And it was pretty special because my very first plate appearance, I hit the first ever home run. Wow. In the women's game when I was 16 years old. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> amazing, actually, and uh, something I'll never forget. But yeah, definitely coming in as a rookie, obviously, you're a little nervous and all that. But they've got such a great group of girls on the national team that just treat you like any other player. They don't care about your age. They treat you as a teammate. And that, that was very welcoming and very comforting for me. Well, uh, you imagine being on that team and, and the rookie steps up and <laughs> goes yard uh, the first that bat. Yeah, well, uh, that, that's going to gain, as, as a guy who's been on uh, different teams before, that's going to get, that's instant credibility in the locker room. For right? sure. And, and, and with the coaching staff that, that this young, young woman can perform and, and can be put into the fire and Hey, maybe we got something here. No doubt about that. Uh, Madison, tell me a little bit about what it's like to play against the Americans and seeing that USA versus Canada. Yeah, well, obviously in any sport, really, it's a huge rivalry. And so whenever we play against them, we always get amped up and we just have extra fire in our bellies to, to beat them. And uh, last year at the World Cup, to play them in the bronze and to go into extra innings against them and to beat them on home soil was a huge win for us. And uh, like I said, it's always a great competition. Um, it's always a very close game. We get really competitive and um, it's the games you want to play in and that you dream of being in as a kid we literally could play tiddlywinks right now uh canada versus usa and it would get intense like it doesn't matter like you yeah. said what sport it is mm -hmm. and uh you know bronze medal was on the line but pride was also and you know you you, you might think yeah it's going to be great if we win a bronze here but during that game you're thinking we got to beat our rivals right you really mm -hmm. get into it yeah for sure exactly what uh 
what's the difference in style of play from from the Canadian team, your team, uh, the Americans, and maybe the Japanese? What what do you guys do differently to prepare? Is there a difference uh, in styles between the Japanese and the Americans? Uh, well, the Japanese have been very good for a very long time, and I've only played against them one time uh, last year, but uh, they just do all the little things right. They have such a great pitcher that they use every year, and she's been stellar for them. Um, they're very good at small ball, and they just make the little plays all the time, and if they make a mistake, they never get down on themselves, and their their coaches are always preaching hard work on their side, and they just seem to get it done every year, so... The one thing I find when I watch uh, Asian countries play, mm-hmm. whether Chinese Taipei mm-hmm. or Japan, their defense is mm-hmm. like they yeah. rarely make errors. So you really, uh, you know, when you get on base, you got to make the most of it. But getting on base is such a challenge because, you know, th- their discipline is so strong in their defensive play. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly how the Japanese play. And so uh, we just have to elevate our standards that much higher and expect more from ourselves if we want to take them down. So what uh, what did you go through as far as process wise to to choosing your favorite position? Was it kind of told to you, hey, that we think that you're best suited here, or was there a position on the field where you said, I want to be that person, I'd like to be the the team Canada player at that position? Can you tell us a little bit about your your defensive awareness and where you like to play on the field? Yeah, for sure. When I got picked up last year for the World Cup, um, and we have a national tournament before, and then they select the top 25, and then they cut the team to 20. And uh, I was a top defensive player last year on the infield. So um, I can play anywhere in the infield. I'm very versatile that way. And so I kind of just played wherever they told me to at that point, wherever they needed me to fill in, because they had a lot of veteran players on the infield. So it was tough for me to crack a starting lineup spot. But um, whenever they needed me to go in, uh, whether it was second base or shortstop or third base, I would go in. So uh, the two primary positions that I'm playing is either second base or third base now. So uh, that got finalized. What about yeah. growing up? What was your was that? Were you a middle infielder yes. kind of growing up? Yeah, growing up, I was always an infielder, and I could play any position on the infield. But an infielder uh, with with some power, and and Jordan, you and I have talked about how uh, at the major league level that middle infielder was never thought of a whole lot of as, as a power player. And, and you would probably know that from watching baseball. So nice to kind of break that mold a little bit that uh, us middle infielders uh, do, ha- does, do have some <laughs> pop in our bat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I just try to score the ball up whenever I can. And sometimes it just takes off. But I mean, if, the girl's throwing in 80 miles per hour, and you square the ball up, it's going to fly no matter who's hitting it. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So what do you do in the offseason, Madison, and how do you approach uh, continuing to improve your baseball skills whilst being a, a, an excellent hockey player? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely train year-round. I don't really get an off-season per se. So um, I have different hockey workouts that I can also apply to baseball, and I kind of blend those different workout plans so that I can make the best of both worlds and still get the proper training for both sports. Um, They do have a lot of crossover, which is really good for my body, so it doesn't always wear out the same muscles all the time. but yeah, for baseball, definitely like the cardio aspect of it also applies to hockey, and some of the strength uh, workouts also apply to baseball. So um, it's a great blend of what I do in the in the off season. <laughs> in the off season, off-season I think, what off yeah. season? Yeah, what yeah. Uh, lasts about uh, three weeks for you, if that. <laughs> uh, the the greatest hockey player of all time, Wayne Gretzky, played baseball all summer long, and 
you know, it didn't harm his hockey skills, I don't think. Maybe he could add uh, 3,500 or you know, <laughs> 10,000, uh, 100,000 points. Who knows? But what I'm getting at is that it worked for him. And, um, you know, I used to say, for some reason, I'm not going to play baseball anymore because I want to play golf and I don't want to mess up my golf swing. Tell me about the the things that you do in baseball that also uh, apply in hockey or vice versa. How do the sports, you know, what skill set can you use in both? Is it eye-hand coordination is, is one of the big ones? Yeah, definitely hand-eye coordination. Um, I definitely learned how to tip the puck more in hockey because of my baseball skills and being able to track the ball into your glove or track the ball to the bat. Um, that was definitely a major crossover. Um, definitely the cardio from baseball as well, running the bases. That also transfers over to hockey. You have to be able to have that quick speed um, and get away speed from any opponent. So those are probably the two biggest things that can cross over, and it's definitely helped me in both. Well, it's interesting. I was just uh, worked with Hockey Canada a little bit, and, and we talked with them a lot about not specializing as much. And, you know, you guys have academies. I, I'm sure you're always encouraging uh, the, the young kids to, you know, you're focusing on your craft, but let's do other things. And while you don't know it, it might help you in this way. Specializing at a, at a certain age obviously has to happen, but shouldn't happen at the at the developing age. No, I couldn't agree with you more, Dino. It's, it's important to experience different sports and find out what you love about a particular sport. Um, in Madison's case, it looks like she's fallen in love with a couple of different sports, which is, it sounds like it's going to be great for our country. Yes. Um, I always found that hockey helped, uh, as much or more in baseball, because I've always kind of had this mindset that you cannot replicate a bag skate in any other part of life. <laughs> what goes on in a bag skate and, and what you put your body through in, in a tough skate that a coach puts on you, um, that that's second to none, I guess maybe swimming and, and doing a bag swim would be the, of that same ilk, but, um, Madison, you can't drown on the ice. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's nowhere to go. Um, what is it about, uh, hockey that, uh, that you love the most? And, and is there ever going to have to be a choice here between the two sports? I don't think there will be a choice because, um, for baseball, they understand my hockey commitments, and for my hockey commitments, they understand my baseball. Um, and they, for hockey especially, if baseball were to ever cross over, it would only be like maybe two weeks into like training camp. It would never actually cross over into the actual hockey season. And uh, my coach Howie Draper is very understanding of that, and he treats it as if I was away for a Hockey Canada camp, and he's completely okay with it, and he. He supports me completely, so I'm very fortunate for both sports that they are very understanding and that um, I definitely do not think I will ever have to choose between them. And I'm very fortunate because I love both sports equally, and I can't imagine one sport without the other. Well, and, and that's why uh, Howie has had so much success, is that he understands there's a life outside of hockey, and, and, and people have to, uh, you know, enjoy life to the fullest, or else you're not going to enjoy what you're there to do. And, you know, I mentioned Wayne Gretzky, Haley Wickenheiser. Let's talk about Haley yeah. Wickenheiser, great hockey Dual player, uh, Olympic baseball player as well. So there might not have to be ever a time where you have to choose. And I think that's so important. Um, who were your role models uh, growing up? Who were the, the athletes that you looked up to either in baseball or hockey, just in general? Well, definitely in baseball when I was growing up, uh, Nicola Chansky from the Edmonton area. She's sort of the same stature as I am, and she played middle, middle infield as well. And I remember growing up watching her, and she was always at the 
at baseball games all the time, uh, signing player cards. And I remember as a little kid walking up to her and getting her signature, and that meant the most to me. And uh, now we kind of laugh about it now because we're really good friends. And the last year in the World Cup, we trained together almost every day, and we practiced together. And she really helped me prepare for it coming in as a rookie. And I definitely look up to her, and I still look up to her to this day. It's really interesting that you mentioned Luch. Uh, I've known Nicole for a long time, uh, just through baseball circles. Um, she kind of paved the way for a lot of young girls here in, in our city and in Alberta uh, with what she did. Uh, same as what Madison's doing and, and grew up playing with the boys and uh, finding ways to help her team win games. And uh, interesting story. I, I, I tried to recruit Nicole Lachansky out to Vancouver Island University way back in the day. Uh, she ended up deciding to pursue fast pitch at, at Oregon, um, which good decision. Uh, but I was trying to get her to come out and be that first, you know, first woman to play college baseball in Canada. Didn't work out. I need to brush up my recruiting skills. <laughs> um, so, Madison, what does it mean to you um, to follow in those footsteps, but also to be paving the way? Um, the, the women's game has grown so much over the last decade, and um, you're living proof of that, um, having met Nicole and, and having that relationship mean a ton to you. Um, what does it mean to you to, to maybe carry that torch and become that uh, beacon for younger women now, younger girls looking up to you? Well, it's obviously very special, and I mean, like you said, Nicole did definitely pave the way for every girl in this area. I mean, every baseball girl knows who she is and always wants to and wants to aspire to be like her. And so, for me, I kind of want to take on that role as well. But also for the girls who who love more than one sport and don't want to quit one of them just so they can play one at a higher level and know that there is a way that you can play both. And it may be difficult. It's definitely hard it's not easy but there is a way to balance both and I just hope that for the younger girls out there if they love more than one sport that they don't have to specialize right away that they can try and make it work uh, it's great that you had a female role model to, to look up to growing up because you know I, I've speaking uh, spoken rather to um, you know women like Jaina Hefford who had to cheer for male hockey players growing up because there wasn't that uh, but you you mentioned you you know you played on a, a boys team. What kind of roadblocks did you find growing up? Um, and then you just kind of like, okay, I'm going to let my play speak for myself. And and I'm sure uh, you you have faced some roadblocks uh, from people thinking that you're just a girl, you're not good enough, you shouldn't play, things like that. What was it like growing up? And and did you just let your play do the talking? Yeah, for sure. That definitely happened a lot in baseball when I was growing up playing for the Confederation Park Cubs in Little League. There's definitely a few parents that didn't agree with me being on the field or me playing better than their than their sons out there. But, um, you know, I just had to – I fell in love with the game. And so when you really love something, you don't let anything stop you from it. And that drive just carried me, and I just shut them out, and I just went out there and played with my heart. I found a video on Twitter yesterday. I retweeted it from at Duck Millard of this seven-year-old girl at a baseball camp. And uh, the caption was, uh, you know, they told her girls aren't good enough. And all it is is her, like, they were doing, I don't know what the drill is, like fly, fly ball, ball here yeah. and then a fly ball to the right, the left. She was, like, running, diving, grabbing them, dropping them, and on to the next one, making these amazing catches and she's seven years old. And that's probably because somebody told her, you're not good enough to play with the boys, which should never be told. But sometimes motivation uh, is is a great thing. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. When someone tells me that I can't do something, I do everything I can to prove them wrong. And sometimes those naysayers are what you need to get yourself to the next level. A little bulletin board material right, right there. Yeah. Uh, Madison, are there any coaches here in town that uh, have really inspired you to pursue the game, have, have helped your skill development particularly? Uh, any coaches here in, in Edmonton or in the Alberta area that uh, you really look up to? Well, uh, my Little League coach, Scott Stevenson, he he definitely was a big inspiration for me. Um, he was my last Little League coach before I switched over to and played with the girls, and um, he was just a huge role model for me, and he treated me like any other one of the boys, and he even pushed me that much harder because he knew of Nicola Chansky and had coached her before, and he saw potential in me, and that was a huge motivation for me, and he, he was the one that told me that I should go trial for Team Alberta, and then everything went from there, and I can't thank him enough. The uh, Women's uh, World Cup, or the Women's Baseball World Cup uh, is in 2020. Uh, as mentioned, you guys won a bronze last year, qualifying Starts next month in Mexico. Uh, the first ever World Cup was in Edmonton in 04. I'm thinking you don't remember a lot of that one because you were three, I believe. <laughs> but it was here in 2012, though. Uh, do you remember much about that one? Did you go watch that? or I did go watch that one. Um, very faint memory of it, but um, I remember just watching the girls play, and I just said, I want to be here one day. And I, it got me here, and um, I'm very grateful for those women who have paved the way for the rest of us. Just another great reason of why uh, the baseball field in the River Valley is amazing. We can attract world-class events like that and, and have you guys, Jordan, as a permanent tenant. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the more reasons that, you know, spurred a great Edmontonian on to, to be part of that national team because we hosted that event at REMAX Field. You know, one of the one of the cool things that we've been working on behind the scenes, and, and you know, I don't have a problem mentioning this because we're battling for the field, Dino, is uh, we've sent some messages out to Baseball Canada and the women's side uh, about what's, what's it going to take to create Edmonton as a home base for, for this group. Yep. Um, that's something that we'd like to see in a long-term vision. And by long-term, I'd love for that to happen th this fall. Uh, you know, it's probably not realistic. Uh, long-term, if it takes five years for us to get to that point, uh, we're working towards that. Um, if it takes one year, like great, that's kind of long-term in my mind. Like this is something that we can make happen in this community. Um, I, I feel, um, having lived in BC and being aware of the baseball scene across the country, um, Alberta is a leader, maybe shares that mantle with a couple of provinces for the women's game. Uh, there's great leadership in Alberta with, uh, baseball, Alberta, uh, the office there in Edmonton with Sheen and Darren and, and Chris James, um, you know, obviously Nicole dochansky has been around and, and is still teaching the game here. Um, great mentors, and, and this is a great community for a world-class team to to call home, training center. And I remember hearing Kia Nurse on on uh, 1260 talking about Edmonton being the women's home for the basketball program, and how awesome that was at for Savile their team. Center, yeah, yeah, they they at home base. They they knew what the routine was going to be when they got together for the two weeks. Uh, they knew how to get around the city. You know, all those little things that you may not think about are important. Uh, and maybe they're not that important. But when you have them and they help you focus and train and, and be directly together and, and, and the camaraderie and, and you know, the, like I can't stress it enough, the routine and discipline that comes from that helps you make plays. It helps you on the road. It gets you used to everything. When you come back here for a second and third and fourth time on the national team, 
it's all second nature. You don't have to go through the process all over again. So definitely something we'd love to see happen. I know it'd be great for you because you live here. Um, and you could show all the girls from outside the, 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 the province, uh, you know, how to get around. Uh, so that's something we're working on, Dino. We'll see if we can make that happen. Well, it's a world-class facility. Um, your players stay downtown. It's uh, within walking distance. It would be, it would be. I, no I think brainer. a no-brainer. No-brainer. Uh, exactly. So, what's it like? Uh, you were, you were, um, you know, that girl that was saying, "Can I get your autograph, Nicole?" Or, you know, we talked off air about uh, meeting Sidney Crosby one time and getting his autograph. So you know what that felt like. What's it like uh, for you? Now we we got your autograph on our uh, podcast alley poster, but what's it like uh, when a, a young girl comes and asks you for your autograph now? Oh, um, it's definitely still surreal because I'm still only 18 and when younger girls are coming up and they know who I am and they say that they want to be in my position one day, um, it makes everything I feel very worthwhile and knowing that I'm inspiring the next generation to come up and that there is a female in my position and that they can pursue that one day. Let's talk about uh, your family. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I am an only child. Only child yeah, and... Yeah. and uh, so that means uh, mom and dad uh, were busy playing catch, hockey, and all that with you. You probably wore them out. Yeah, I definitely did growing up, yeah. So how much uh, has their support meant to you and Addison? I definitely wouldn't be here today without their support and just their constant encouragement whenever I whenever I felt down or that I felt like I couldn't do this and that it was getting too hard. They just reminded me how far I've already come and that um, I can be that next that next person to just spread awareness that you can play more than one sport at a high level and you don't have to specialize as early as you think. Uh, that's so important for any young kid or parent that, yeah. is, that is listening right now of, of get your kid active as much as possible. All right, let's wrap with this quickly. Let's talk about uh, Team Canada. You guys just uh, were in, it was in Okotoks where you guys trained? Yes. Uh, so you got down from 25 to 20. Uh, tell us about Team Canada. Tell us about the Team Canada we're going to see in qualifying in Mexico next month and then in the uh, 2020 World Cup. But what's the team like? Well, we have quite a few returners from last year in the 2018 World Cup, but we also have a lot of newer girls with their first years. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be quite a combination of a younger talent. There's not as many veteran girls anymore. Um but you're going to see a team that's hungry to win and wants to learn and grow. And that's a huge thing. We're never going to give up. We're always going to be competitive and we're going to push the pace and we're going to try and win it all in this qualifier. Awesome stuff. Madison, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, obviously, best of luck with uh, Team Canada and maybe a Team Canada in hockey in the future. Who knows? But uh, hockey, football, golf, sport in general. You're a great role model for a lot of Edmontonians. And thanks for joining us on the Prospects Baseball Show. Yes, thank you for having me. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Great conversation uh, with the Madison Willen, who uh, you will see on the international stage representing Canada in baseball for sure, and quite possibly in hockey. Uh, she is a, a rising star in a, in a couple of sports and a great role model for young girls and boys. For, for young girls that, uh, you know, don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something. That, that should be, a, you know, just a motto for everybody, but also for specialization. You do, it's, it's proof that uh, she's exceeding at the highest level. And we mentioned a couple of, 
you know, outstanding. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, greatest hockey player of all time, played baseball in the summer, played lacrosse. Haley Wickenheiser. Uh, there's been a, a few different athletes that have uh, crossed into baseball and hockey. So don't uh, think you have to only specialize and focus on something 12 months of the year. Right now, we want to take you out to the ball game with a little trivia. This is simple as well. All you do is reply to Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com and let us know the answer to this trivia question. What non-pitching player, so also not including DH, so take DH and take pitchers out of the equation, what position has the least amount of players in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Do you have a guess? Oh, I, I do have a guess. All right, give me a guess. Let's go with center field. Okay, I'm not going to tell you if you're right <laughs> or wrong, but uh, you're wrong. <laughs> but anyway, uh, email us. I, w- I was actually surprised by this, but email us. Tell us what position has the least amount of reputation, or representation rather, in Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame. By the way, last week's answer was uh, what player, uh, who is number two when it comes to all-time home runs by a DH? David Ortiz holds the record, and uh, we were doing DH in our all-time team, and it was Harold Baines, who also went into the Baseball Hall of Fame and who a guy, after I do after doing much more research, I think belongs in the, uh, the Hall of Fame. Now, you kind of spurred that on. I didn't think he was, and then I did more research, and I'm like, yeah, I, I think he belongs. He's... He hit a lot of home runs and uh, had some pretty big clutch hits in his career. Yeah, you know what? Uh, like longevity, there's something to that with baseball. And, and, you know, for so many years, he was that consistent power thread in the middle of a lineup and put up numbers. And, yeah, pretty cool to see him get in there. You know, that's uh, that's probably a childhood, you know, guy that you saw on TV hitting a lot of home runs like I did. It was, it was and kind of a cool name too, Harold Baines. You know, Baines, he's always in the middle of the, middle of the lineup dropping bombs, so... Kind of cool. It's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. Hit the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. So the long All-Star break fantasy week wraps up. Um, I'm guessing there was only a few more games because you missed so many with the All-Star break. Um, so our trade deadline has come and gone in our league. It happened last week and, uh, I tinkered, as I said, I didn't sell the farm. I had offers, uh, to trade Dallas Keuchel and a few other guys that I had, but I didn't want to cripple my pitching staff. So I just stood pat and picked up, uh, an outfielder, uh, you know, with some depth and then, uh, but I, but I, what I did was I, I just plucked guys off the waiver wire. Because there are still guys out there. Um, and I got rid of some dead weight. So here's a question. Do you ever pick guys up for specific categories? Because I specifically picked up a guy to, to try to win stolen bases a little bit more. 
you don't need a lot most times to win stolen bases. Usually one guy that can swipe three, four bags might get you the category. So what I did is I targeted an outfielder that has a little bit of power. I targeted an outfielder that has some speed and an outfielder that can hit for average because it, you, you, you got to bring it up. So do you ever look at a guy and say, specifically, I want this guy just because I want to win stolen bases? That's a straight professional fantasy baseball player move right there. For sure you do. Um, you know, mid-season, I might be not doing that because you're looking kind of long-term. Um, I've got a few weeks left here in my season before we get into the playoffs. I'm in a dog fight. I've been inching Has your back trade up. deadline happened? I believe it has. Okay. I'm I like I almost don't pay attention to it, Dino, because I'm a waiver wire guy. Yeah. There's so so many hidden gems. We've got a 12 person league, so the teams are pretty good. Um, but you always keep in mind of specific categories, and and I've done this in playoffs. So when you get into the playoffs, you, know, you match up against this particular team. You know, if I can beat you in stolen bases, guaranteed. You know, that might push me over the edge compared mm-hmm. on what else we're looking at head to head because it's it's one and done. Whoever wins this week moves on. I think that's a great strategy to approach. You know, do I need to bring my whip down? You know, and 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 in my league, there's the strategy behind. You know, you're going to keep six guys. So in the playoffs, you might have an all star type player, which you know maybe you don't need him this week, and you need four stolen bases. You know what? I'm going to drop some dead weight. I'm going to drop this guy to pick up these speed demons so I can take this guy out this week and deal with next week, next week. Providing they're not, you know, like I'm not going to pick up a guy who, um, you know, is above average speed but hits 210. Sometimes you might have to to win that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't make that sacrifice. I wouldn't um, sacrifice, you know, because there's no no guarantee that you're going to win stolen bases. But a guy hitting 210 is going to bring your average or your OPS, or we, we do uh, OPS yep. as, same, as same. one category. And yep. I, so it's, you know, it's going to hurt that. Well, so look at it this way. In real life baseball, you're, you're in the eighth inning, and you got a man on first base and two outs. You're down by two runs. Um, you got uh, a light-hitting, high-average guy coming up to, to bat. Take the defensive problems out of it. And you got a guy sitting on the bench kick, that can hit a home run. You're going to put the guy in with the lower average. No, and try but and drop fantasy baseball, we don't have daily, cha- <laughs> I don't have daily changes. I can't, I can't, I can't go in mid game and take uh, no, Kiki Hernandez that. out of my lineup <laughs> because he's, you know. But for that game, so if this is the week and it comes down to the end of the week and it's Sunday and you got yeah. a speed demon that you're tied in stolen bases and tied in scoring and he rips you a bag and pushes you over the top. Yeah, but I'm only putting that guy in my lineup if he's not going to hurt another cat. Like I'm not putting like a, the guy's got to be, you know, like like a 250 and above average or something <laughs> to be able to consistently be in my lineup. Hey, it's the new age, man. The 230 is the the old 270. <laughs> I don't know. I just I think but I I I do look at specific guys saying I've lost the stolen bases now and like I said you don't need and, you know, if a guy can, st- if if a guy who's not a base dealer suddenly swipes you a bag, that could be the Huge. difference. So, yep. uh, a couple of guys to talk about: Christian Yelich, and and we've we've discussed him before. But four homers, nine RBIs, nine runs, four walks, uh, on base percentage of five sixteen, and also stole two bags. That's a great week from a guy Filling who's up the lines. in the MVP category now. He had averaged 25 home runs a year his last three years. He's at 35 on pace for 56 and 123 RBIs. And, and that's the thing you expect from Christian Yelich right now. He is that top-tier MVP candidate player, like a Mike Trout, that you are expecting that. 
Edwin Encarnacion, on the other hand, is mashing still. And I did not expect this to, to happen. Four home run. One was a grand slam this week. 11 driven in. He is second in the AL with 29 home runs, only two behind Trout. And it's only going to get better down the stretch because he's surrounded by Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, and Gary Sanchez in that Yankee. Like, I think Judge is hitting two, Hicks is hitting three, double E, four, and then Sanchez uh, behind him or something like that. But when you have that much protection, what's a pitcher to do? Like, it's the new age murderer's row. And they're, it's starting at the two hole. They're savages in the box, as Booney said. Coach yeah, Boone on did. the umpire. How about that video? Was that not? Listen, I don't know if you've ever got to that point no, as a, as a coach. Never. No, like I don't. I don't know because we don't mic. But I love to mic you up or something. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure Major League Baseball is trying to get that video buried. But that was gold when when Boone and the manager and he was just like, "Do your job." Like he knows he's getting kicked out. He was do your job. Tossed. Yeah, he's yeah, already he's tossed. already tossed. So he's he, like, do your job. He's he's trying to get his guys some breaks in the seventh inning now because he's gone. Well, I think that was earlier in the game, wasn't it? That's what I mean. Like he's yeah, yeah, he yeah, gets yeah, kicked yeah, out early, yeah. so he's trying to get his guys a break down the yeah, road no by doubt. going into that match. No doubt, no doubt. Trying to uh, get a call later. He got to, he got a game for that a suspension. Yeah, I guess so. Well, but like if it, it, if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't public, I bet you he doesn't get well, suspended. That's what, that's what I don't. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, protecting, you know, the public image of MLB, I can get that part of it. Uh, I didn't think what he said uh, specifically deserved a game suspension. There, there's been way worse things said on a baseball field than what, and and umpires have been approached, have been approached by a coach that's upset way more aggressively than Booney did. Um I don't agree with the one game for what exactly happened. The fact that it became public and I can get that MLB kind of protecting its umpire, protecting the game a little bit. I get that side of it because it came out. You know, he's sticking up for his players. <laughs> um, that's That quote's going to live on forever. They are savages. You see the next day Luke Voigt took one in the face, stayed in the game. Like that is what a savage does. I love that. And he's right. Um, when the Yankees picked up double E, we talked about like they needed more right-handed power. Did you see the swing he put on the grand slam? Yeah. It was like a one-handed, like, oops. Sorry, bomb. I hit this over the yeah, fence. Sorry, grand slam. Um, now that lineup is, is, is crazy to face, Dino. That's, that's, that is a murderer's row. Like, how do you, how do you navigate that through th three innings, let alone seven and get into the bullpen? Um, that team's special, dude, and their bullpen stacked. They're going to get an arm for the rotation or two. Um, they might be going back to Parade City there in New York. Well, just the uh, the, the protection that double that you know Encarnacion isn't a, a young spring chicken anymore. So to have that much protection around him is uh, you know it's just ride the wave of double E if you're in <laughs> fantasy baseball for sure. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Bonds with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. So we've been doing this for uh, now our 10th episode, and we are almost at the end of the line with all-time team. And what all-time team is, is we're discussing the best players at each position and our favorite players at each position. So you can win 
tickets to the winter banquet just for submitting your all-time team. So it's simple. Take every position and tell us who the best player is or your favorite player is at that position and go through every position, including starting pitcher, relief pitcher, and DH. So 11 in total. We're going to pick one winner who has submitted a best list. We're going to pick one winner who has submitted a favorite list, and you will be getting a couple of tickets to the winter banquet and you can email your team to prospects baseball show at gmail.com prospects baseball show at gmail.com before we get into today's list tell us quick just a little quickly about what the uh, winter banquet is if uh, somebody is looking forward to attending it's a great time it's a it's an opportunity for us to kind of kick off our season while there's still some snow on the ground so february kind of in and around that timeline event um, we bring in a, a guest speaker. Uh, the last two years, we've had Roberto Alomar and Buck Martinez join us. It's um, not bad, eh? Yeah, not too bad. Hey, the uh, the stories those guys have, uh, the opportunity for them to connect with uh, fans of our program, um, a chance to spend an evening with those guys and hear them tell stories and uh, say hello and you know talk baseball, talk shop in February when it's you know still kind of hockey season in winter. You know, it's our opening pitch for every season. Gives us a chance to to see our fans and and kind of get the the ball rolling on. Uh, hey, summer's coming around here pretty quickly. Um, you know, get uh, get the mindset going. It's during spring training, which is great. Kind of link that up. Um, we have a great silent auction table. Uh, there's been some awesome items over the over the few years uh, that that we've done this. I think it's year four or five um you know it's i haven't been around the team as long as they've been doing this so uh the couple of years i've been here it's been a fantastic event it's at uh the blatchford hangar which is such a cool cool area of the city i i hadn't really experienced that venue up until uh two years ago with the with the the, the banquet um it's just so appropriate it's just so kind of magical and rustic and and just a great atmosphere to host an event like this. Um, great silent auction table. Uh, we've had a comedian in there the last couple of years, kind of in between, uh, you know, dinner and Is dessert. Is it you? Do you get uh, up there and do some stand up? <laughs> I've still got some work to do. Uh, I've been trying to catch up on my Seinfeld there. That's right. Um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to connect with our fans. Dino. Okay. So the winter banquet, uh, coming this fall, or this winter rather, uh, I guess next uh, February around there. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is email us your all-time team at each position, uh, whether you think it's the best or your favorite player. So we're doing relief pitchers today, and there have been some really good relievers. Trevor Hoffman, as uh, you know, uh, we had uh, uh, David Wiley in uh, talking. No, was it David yeah, Wiley? it was Wiley. It was, it was yeah. David Wiley, yeah, about uh, the, you know, the, legend of uh, of trevor hoffman and, and he he was legendary for sure um there were some really good closers when i was growing up but there has i i, I think this is going to be a quick discussion here on who the best of all time <laughs> is like is you know who is is trevor hoffman the closest to mariano rivera like he he's the best it's, it's funny my wife went to a yankee game her family went on a trip to new york and she was texting me, and she's like, man, this place is going crazy for this guy jogging in from the uh, outfield. What's going on? And I'm like, yeah, that's the greatest closer of all time uh, <laughs> she, because the Yankee Stadium went nuts when yeah. Rivera would come in. It, is it a debate? 
No, it, it, it starts with the entrance song. He had the best one ever. I'm a big Metallica fan. Enter Sandman. Game's over. Um, and the fact that he did this with one pitch, and which is, you know, it sounds crazy to think, but really. So explain that a little bit. Well, really, when you're, when you're only going to f- hopefully face three guys, you don't need five pitches in the whole arsenal. You might only throw ten pitches. So a closer probably has two, two. go-to, maybe one. Yeah, and, well, like, and some guys will have three or four. But so what was Mariano Rivera's strength then? He had a cutter. He and it was, was fast, right? Yeah, it was, you know, 90, 92, 93. He had this uh, ability to throw his cutter to both sides of the plate. Um, you know, and the cool thing with the cutter is it doesn't always do the same thing. You know, he threw it the so same. So it's unpredictable. It can, there's some unpredictability behind it. Um, and the tightness of the spin and the late movement, you know, just moves enough as it reaches the hitting area that it's going to miss your barrel. It's either going to come and, you know, cut your hands off or it's going to slide off and hit the end of the bat. I don't know how many. It'd be cool if they kept stats on how many broken bats each pitcher's had and then broken bats per nine inning. You know, that's a stat for later on in, in the stat cast era. Um, and guys knew he was throwing it the whole time. Um, very rarely did he get touched. You know, they, I could think of twice, um, you know, the Bill Miller and the, the Luis Gonzalez with the Diamondbacks. That, yeah, that's right. Know, yeah. The infield was drawn in. He hit a ball that would have basically that landed on the back of the infield for a game-winning hit in the World Series, you know, and Bill Miller was one of the only guys that had a, you know, a, a positive experience against Mariano Rivera in his career. You know, he, he, he got some hits on him. Um, I mean, like he shattered bats his whole, his whole life. And, you know, he started as a, a starting pitcher and he, I think in 94, 96, kind of in that era, I can't remember. Um, and then they moved him to the bullpen and that's when the legend uh, began. And then once he once he found his way to the closer role with that cutter, it was like like you said, it's the greatest of all time, uh, revered around the sport as such. Um, you know, so the, this is this is a baseball immortal. This is a, a Babe Ruth, a Mickey Mantle, a, you know, Walter Johnson. It's one of those names. That's what Mariano Rivera is. He's in the upper echelon of the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, it's a it's a Mike Trout esque. We watched the greatest of all time, and yes, I agree. Like. I loved Hoffman, and Hoffman was the same. He had one pitch. I mean, you know, Mo would throw a fastball here and there, but he's a cutter guy. Um, Hoffman would throw a fastball here and there, but he was a changeup guy. And it's crazy to think that with all the information and the level of hitters that he could get away with throwing one pitch the same way his whole career and have so much success. Well, it's not unlike when uh, Jake Taylor uh, tips off the guy <laughs> that uh, it's another heater and Ricky Vaughn rears back and he knows what's coming. But when, you know, when you throw the ball that fast with movement, you know, like Clayton, Clayton Kershaw has terrific movement on his pitches. He doesn't throw it as hard as Mariano Rivera. And now maybe Rivera doesn't have as much movement as Clayton Kershaw, but I think smaller movement at a higher speed is harder to hit than slower, bigger movement. Like a 12 to six curveball is tough to hit, right? But I think anytime you throw, it's like, listen, for a goalie, you come in nice and slow on me, I'm in my element. You come in fast, I got to react faster. So anything with speed and movement, less movement, more speed, I think it's harder to hit. And that's just from a novice point of view. What do you think as a hitter? Less movement for late movement is better than a lot 
a lot of movement and early and you well, can see you can it. pick it up you see it right you pick up the, yeah. the bigger movement early right yeah you, so you that's want also late a good movement. point is late movement late movement and that's you know mariano rivera and, and hoffman to a t it was there it looked it looked great and then it wasn't there anymore and then they, that's right. I mean, that's two of the greatest of all time and then they were really good at that kaiser so say he's gone <laughs> he's the the kaiser so say yeah, pitch yeah. okay so who's your favorite closer of all time Man, this is. It could be Rivera too. I like he was pretty dominant. Totally I'm not a Yankee guy, but <laughs> I'm going to go off the off the board here a little bit from Mo. He, he's the greatest of all time, so you got to spread the love a little bit. Um, shout out to Eric Gagne that one season he had, and in multiple 57 seasons. saves, I think it was. Or? It might have been six. Like I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was dominant. It was t- uh, yeah, it was crazy. The most dominant season in the history of closing. Um, I loved Hoffman. He came into. Uh, uh, same kind of way Mo did, you know. He started as a position player and then tried to be a starting pitcher. wasn't working, and, and you know he was dang near out of out of baseball. And they, you know, flipped him into the back end, and he learned how to throw this change up, and and that was it. Um, he was unbelievable. Um, but my favorite of all time, I'm going with the mustache man, Rolly Fingers, dude. I I had this mustache uh, for. For a few months, uh, a couple of summers ago, I was working to try it out, and uh, you know, I had it rolled up, and was trying to do the Raleigh fingers. Uh, I love him, you know, such a character, and without mustache, he's my favorite of all time, and I'm partial to the to the Oakland A's, so he's my favorite of all time. I'm going with Raleigh fingers. How do you not go with Eckersley then, if you're partial to the A's? He <laughs> was think, uh, at the in his time yeah. another guy. That, I think he was a starter as well. He was, yeah. And then, but for for my era, growing up in like that '80s and and early '90s, Eckersley was the guy. Yeah. Then that's your favorite guy. No, no, he? no. I'm just saying. For, okay, like, I'm yeah. surprised you didn't go with him. Yeah, there's, with the, there's uh, been some things lately. A's. You know, uh, you know, off the field issues. You know, oh, in the yeah, press box definitely. and stuff like that. That. Uh, I was never a huge Eckersley fan. Like I respect him, like un- unbelievable um, what he did in, in, for the Oakland A's back in the heyday there. And um, I was a Blue Jays fan and Expos fan at the time. So when Robbie so hit that Alomar, bomb off yeah. him, you know, I was like, "Yeah, take that, Eckersley." So he was never my favorite. I would have probably put Tom Hankey or Dwayne Ward ahead of him in, in my list of guys that that were my favorites uh, ahead of Eck, even though he was so good. So Gagne, it was in 03 with the Dodgers, fifty five straight saves. Two off the record, but when you count his saves from the year before, I think he had eight. So he had like, fifty-five saves yeah, that like season. Sixty-three in a row. Sixty-three yeah. in a row when you count uh, the two seasons. So it was it was awesome. Oh, it was, I'm a Dodger the, guy. The numbers so were crazy. I liked it. Okay, so my favorite reliever of all time, and he wasn't the most dominant closer, uh, but it's Jesse Orozco. <laughs> The lefty. He played like 47 years. Yeah, he played four decades, dude. <laughs> he played. He won a World Series with the Mets yeah. in uh, 86 yeah. as their closer, and then was a partial closer in 88 with the, the Dodgers. He had nine saves that season, but he was he saved two games in the NLCS uh, for the eventual World Series uh, champions. He was dynamite as jimmy walker used to say in rbi baseball in 87 and that's where i loved jesse orozco he also holds the record for the most appearances in major league baseball like 12,000 or 1,252 1979 to 03 four decades only four errors in 24 seasons which is pretty good now he's not pitching he's not out there every day but that's still pretty good 
And he was also the last player from the 86 Mets team to play a game. So he played in four decades, wasn't dominant, but that year after they came off the, the World Series of the Mets in, in RBI baseball, he was la- like, he, he, he would come in and he then. was like, yeah, lights out, over. man. He was, he was like <laughs> Rivera for, for, you know, we talk about, okay, we talked about that pitch the other day in Major League Baseball being video game-like yeah. where it was looked like a screwball or something. It's on, it's out on Twitter, but Orozco, he had video game-like uh, control, and let's, <laughs> This was not a complicated game. It was it wasn't that hard to get hits, but I just love Jesse Orozco because of that video game and and he also won a World Series with the Dodgers, the last time any of my teams I've cheered for has won a championship. Yeah, the lesson here is throw left-handed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jesse Orozco is my favorite. Again, uh, send us your best or favorite list to Prospects Baseball Show at Gmail. Let's wrap up as we do with then versus now. And we're talking relievers. And um, I don't know, has, has, has one position changed more in the last 15 to 10 years um, than the reliever position? It's gone from uh, an era where your starter would go six and you'd either use uh, one guy for two innings and then a closer or maybe two guys and then a closer to now where, you know, if you're using only four relievers in a game, that's that's a low amount now, right? Like, how, when did you when do you when do you think the the shift came on? So it's like, okay, we need to use now eight pitchers in a game instead of three. This is recent. This is so the it's, last it's, couple of years. Okay, yeah. Okay. I mean, the the tradition was not that long ago was your seventh, the eighth, and your ninth inning guy, and this is like two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. This is how teams were still operating. Um, the game, Are there still long relievers left? Like, is that a dinosaur in the game? No, for sure. I think that uh, there are. They're, they're quasi-starters now. So, like, Tampa Bay is kind of one of those like teams openers, that, right? that have, you know, spearheaded. They really, they spearheaded the opener idea, and they brought it to the forefront. I hated that during the playoffs last year. You know, when, they'll they'll when go one or two innings. The the, the Brewers tried to do that against yeah. the Dodgers, and it didn't work. The Dodgers were no. like, "We've Dave Roberts has figured it out. So. Well, I remember we talked about that um on on the show where you're working before and and we talked about the bullpen usage and i remember we i never talked to you again about it and i was like they need to be careful because in game seven they might run out of a they might and they did in game seven and the seventh eighth and ninth they didn't have any more bullets left and we had talked about that i'm like whoever goes to that well one too many times is going to run out at the end of the seventh game a.k.a. the Brewers did, and they were kind of fooling around with that opener stuff. So, you know, honestly, the, there is a place for it in this game now. Um, it does make sense. Uh, there, there's a decisions that, that I make on the field now with, with the club I've got, um, and then like that, there's been some thought process uh, kind of around, should we open here, you know, go for two, three innings with this guy, then go to another guy. Um there's some value and, and some validity to the argument now that, you know, uh, it, it might work better. Uh, and I'm very open to those ideas personally. Um, the relieving spot has changed now, Dino. It's like you have so many guys that throw so hard. Uh, you have so many guys that, that have a specific skill set, which makes sense that you would use your specific skill set in, in a battle versus an opponent to you know gain an edge as a predatory trying to get a win type environment. Um, you, know, you may have a, a three, three guys in your, in your bullpen that are dominant against right-handed hitters and vice versa, three or four guys that really get left-handed hitters out. 
Um, and, and if the other team can't balance their lineup, you need to expose that weakness. And, you know, the, we could talk about stat cast and the, and the analytics era. I mean, this has been part of the thought process for a long time. Uh, it's just been magnified now with the roles. I think you're going to see teams uh, and MLB expand the rosters here at some point where they add another player to the roster because of this. Um, you know, the strategy behind the game has changed a ton. You know, the, the, the way we position defensively, the way we attack hitters specifically, and then, you know, how we set our pitching staff up to engage and defeat our opponents. You know, at the highest level, there's so much information that it's, you know, easily accessible for you to, to game plan and you feel like, you know, if our pitchers execute their pitches to the best of their ability, we're going to beat the other team's hitters. Um, at the level I coach, that's still part of it. Uh, but there's a little bit more uncertainty with our level as, you know, we're not major league professionals and, and uh, the level of consistency is obviously not the same as the highest level. But um, you still see it at our level. You know, certain guys hit balls certain ways and you can position them accordingly. And we may see that here in the last part of the season. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been one position that's uh, changed more than the uh, the reliever, uh, what it used to be. And, you know, for a long time there wasn't a closer. So uh, the game evolves and, and, it, and it does... Um, organically at times all right that is going to wrap things up for us on episode 10 of the prospects baseball show remember you can get all the information and buy tickets at prospectsbaseballclub.ca as some home games this week a chance to get out and watch some really good baseball and hopefully enjoy some sunshine we have no show next week because i'm uh, back in uh, god's country manitoba for uh, a little vacation Uh, so we will next speak with you on august 5th just after the long weekend jordan thanks as always for joining us Uh, best of luck this week thank you dino ban the shift (laughs) it's gone it's a grand slam and that's the ball game